Should be a separation for us. Just because we're in the world doesn't mean we should be of the world. Just because the world does things a certain way doesn't mean that we should. And what's interesting is that in every generation, Christians want to blur the line of what is and isn't acceptable. And I think the key is, is that we always need to say, God, what does your word say? And what honors Jesus? Like a big thing, I've been talking to a lot of young people about, you know, cohabitating before marriage. What kind of relationship would you rather be in? One that's situational or covenantal? Only one way is sanctioned by God, and that's because He created marriage to be a lasting, growing, loving bond. Today, Pastor Daniel explains why we have to maintain a separation from the world, just like Jacob and his family. Even as the world changes, believers live by the Word. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 46, verse 1, with part one of his message entitled, Settling in Egypt. I want to put this in context as we're going. I've been saying all the way through that the book of Genesis, and really the entire Bible, is primarily about three things, God, the people, and the land. God, the people, and the land. When God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, he said, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to bless you. You're going to become a great nation, and I'm going to give you a place to call your own. As we're going to see today, Jacob, the third of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, Jacob is going to be leaving the land of Canaan, and he's going to be settling in Egypt. So this next section, chapters 46 to 50 in the book of Genesis, and we'll take 46 and 47 tonight, really what it's doing is it's, it's tying up all the loose ends as it regards to Jacob and his sons. And ultimately, it's setting the stage for Exodus. And so once we get to the book of Exodus, our first series will be called Passover. And so that's going to be really exciting as we study through the book of Exodus. But without further ado, let's pick up in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 46. It says, so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt. Jacob and all of his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters, and his son's daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now, if you notice in the first few verses, he's called Israel again. And we saw this at the end of chapter 46. And as I said at the end of last week, some people feel that when Jacob is called Israel, it's because he's functioning or acting in faith 
So that name Israel means governed by God. And so there's kind of, it almost shows the two natures of Jacob slash Israel. And when he's Jacob, some people would say that it's him being in the flesh, him trying to manipulate situations and work things out. But when he's Israel, he's walking by faith and not by sight. So it's interesting here. It says that Israel took his journey with all that he had, right? In verse one, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now, Israel comes to Beersheba. We know that God appeared to Abraham at Beersheba in Genesis 21 and also to Isaac in Genesis 26. So this was a a special place. And it's interesting that in the Bible, there is oftentimes special places where God ministers to people, where there's a place that you revisit. And I'm sure for all of us in that idea of being, having, bringing brought to remembrance about things, there might be certain places that God really ministered to you that you, when you go to a certain place, you go back there and you revisit it. I remember when I was sitting as a young man in Ashland, Oregon, at the Ashland Creek in Lithia Park. So if those of you know Southern Oregon, God spoke to me and told me that he was going to use me as a pastor sitting next to this creek. I know exactly. I go there every time. I go to Ashland. I go back to that rock. I grab my Bible, my journal. I sit, same rock every time because God spoke to me there. God ministered to me. God led me from there. And that's exactly what's going on here with Jacob. There's a history of God meeting his grandfather and his father and him there. And so he goes there. What does he do? He worships and sacrifices to God. And it's interesting. God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. You notice that? The narrator calls him Israel, but God calls him Jacob. I like that. It's actually really cool because God knows exactly who we are. We don't pull the wool over the eyes of God. He sees who we really are. And yet he still loves us. And that's just so baffling to me. God sees all of it, every little bit of it. Not only the things that we do and the thoughts that pass through our mind, but even the, all of the faulty motivations. And yet he still loves us. And it's funny, we were singing that song, I got so choked up because it's like, God really loves us. With all of our failings, all of our mistakes. He really loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his own son to die on a cross for our sins. So even though God sees who we really are, and Jacob has grown tremendously, God still sees him, and he still loves him. And notice what he says to him. He says, Jacob, Jacob, and Jacob's just there. Here I am. In verse 3, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Now, you see what he says to him? He says, look, Jacob, I'm your God, right? And don't be afraid. I know that's a word for a lot of us in here tonight. I'm your God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because he's our God. And God knows exactly what's going on and we can trust him. He says, don't be afraid. Now, notice he says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. It's interesting, in your Bible, you're always going down to Egypt and you're always going up to Jerusalem. That's a word picture. Because Egypt is a picture of the world. And when I say the world, I don't just mean everything that's created, the cosmos. I mean the world system that's in rebellion to God. And Jerusalem in the Bible is a picture of going up to where God reigns. 
And so what's interesting is that in the Bible, God says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt because I'm still going to bless you there. And now I, I bring this up because it's so easy for us. We love church and we love being in the safety of the people of God. And we come to church to get built up in our faith, to be equipped for the work of ministry, right? Brothers and sisters, don't be afraid to go to work tomorrow. Don't be afraid to hang out with your neighbors because God will be with us. And they are our neighbors. They are our co-workers. They are the people who have kids on our kids' little league teams and all these things. They're there and we're there because God wants to reach them. So don't be afraid. Yes, you're not going to the, the safety of the holy huddle of the people of God. There's something beautiful about it. But don't be afraid to go and engage with a world that's in rebellion against God. Don't be afraid because God is with us. And notice what he says here. He says, I'll make you a great nation there. He said, I'll even bless you there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will surely bring you up again. You see that in verse four? He says, I'll go down with you and I'm going to bring you guys back out again. So with Jacob and the family going to Egypt, that promise of a land is in jeopardy. And God's like, look, I'm going to go down with you and I'm going to bring you back. And I love this. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Wow. What he's saying is, you're going to see your son again, Joseph, who you haven't seen. But when he says, I'm going to put your hand on your eyes, this denotes it's a Hebraism for burial, saying, you're going to see Joseph, and Joseph's going to see you take your last breaths. Joseph's going to bury you. Now, what's interesting is this is, in a sense, this is a comfort to Jacob because he's going to see his son again. But he's saying, you're going to die in Egypt. Now, as it continues in verse 5, we find that Jacob goes. The sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, their wives, and the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry. And they took everything. That's what it says. So remember, Pharaoh sent carts down, and they brought everything back. Verses 5 to 7 make it very clear. They left nothing behind. They were all in. They went completely. Now, in verse 8, now, these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jashin, Zohar, and Shual, the sons of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershom, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamuel. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun were Sered, Elon, and Jalel. And the sons of, these were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padanaram, with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters, were 33. The sons of Gad were Ziphium, Haggai, Shuni, Hezbon, Eri, Arodi, and Arali. The sons of Asher were Jimna, Ishua, Ishu, Beriah, and Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Beriah were Heber and Malkael. You guys having fun? I am. You know what's fun? If I did this again, I'd pronounce these all different for you, too. It'd be super fun. The one thing I will tell you about Hebrew names, the accent is almost always on the last syllable. So it's like, you know, we have the name like David. 
We say David, the accent's on the front. They would say David. So like we say Deborah, they would say Deborah. So that's the rule, but since I'm American, I just pronounce this syllable on the first anyway, the accent, so I mess them up anyway. but. But if you are looking for cool baby names... You got 60-something names here. You're golden. Golden. Let's keep going. Verse 18, these were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob's 16 persons. And the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph, in the land of Egypt, was born Manasseh, Ephraim, who Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Beecher, Ashbel, Gera, uh, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. So if you have twins, Mupim and Hupim, great names. I'm just, I'm just trying to further it along. It's good. Verse 23, the son of Dan was Hushim, and the sons of Naphtali were Jaziel, Guni, that's a good one, Jezer, and Shilem, these were the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob, who went to Egypt, were 70. Now, that's the list of everybody who went. Now, if you are a discerning Bible scholar and you count all these names, you're going to have a field day. Because what happens is, is that you'll notice it says that 66 people go, but if you actually count them up, it looks like there's only 65 names. And then it says that 70 actually go down. Now, there's a lot of reasons why this is the case. And you can probably read about 2,000 pages of people discussing what the reasons are that there's one more in the number than are actually there. And I'm going to give you the two most common, the two most common reasons why. The first people would say the reason why there's a number discrepancy is, of course, that in verse 10, there's a man named Ohad, right? Now, what's interesting is Ohad is not in some of the other genealogies. So if you look at uh, First Chronicles in different places, Ohad's name is not in there. And so some people would say that Ohad is counted here, but he's not counted in other places. And so there's all these reasons for that. The second reason, of course, is if you look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, I'll just read it to you. Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife, and she bore to him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137 years. Now, Jochebed was his father's sister, okay? And what's interesting about this is that in the oral law, they make a strong case that Jochebed was in her mother's womb when they came from Egypt. So she wasn't born yet. And so she's counted in the number that way. So that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is if you count them all up and then you add Dinah and you subtract the dead sons, you end up getting 70 as well. So I bring all those different reasons up to you because there is a lot of discrepancy about it. And then to add insult to injury, if you're a discerning Bible student, if you remember from Acts chapter 7, Stephen says 75 people came from Egypt. And people who want to say that the Bible isn't true, they go crazy about this. Was it 70 or 75? 
what's up with this? And the simplest answer of it is that if you look at the numbers, what you actually find is that Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who we're going to find out about in a couple of chapters, guess how many kids they had? Five. So depending on how you reckon the number, there's a lot of different ways it fits together. So I bring that up because in this section, and you can read it, and if you want information, send me an email, and I'll shoot you off all these different reasons and whys, and, and I don't really have a good answer for you. I just know there's a lot of different ways to explain it. But it's interesting that if we find out that 70 people go. That's what we find out. And really, part of this is that you have to remember that Abraham was called by himself. It's just Abraham and Sarah, right? Within three generations, now they're a, a tribe of 70, right? By the time they leave Egypt, they're going to be an innumerable multitude, almost a million. And it's showing the fulfillment of the people portion. Remember God, the people in the land? We're seeing the fulfillment of God making a great nation from the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's what all of that is about. Okay, let's keep moving. Verse 28 says this. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen, and Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him, fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So here in these verses, we find Judah being sent before Jacob to prepare the way, to, to get everything taken care of. Now, what happens here? This is a beautiful reunion. Jacob and Joseph have not seen each other in over 20 years. Jacob thought that Joseph was dead. Joseph probably imagined he'd never see his father again. So they see each other, and as is very common, they fell on each other's neck, they kissed each other, and they wept. And they were overjoyed at their reunion. Now, from there, Joseph begins to advise saying, I'm going to go see Pharaoh, and we're going to tell Pharaoh that we are shepherds so that we end up in Goshen. Now, think about this. Even though the children of Jacob, the family of Jacob is going to Egypt, they're going to Egypt, but they don't want to become of Egypt. Remember I made the point that we shouldn't be afraid to engage with the world? The key is that when we engage with the world, we don't want to be like the world. We don't want to take on all the attributes. There should, still should be, although part of it, we sh there still should be a separation for us. Just because we're in the world doesn't mean we should be of the world. Just because the world does things a certain way doesn't mean that we should. And what's interesting is that in every generation, Christians want to blur the line of what is and isn't acceptable. And I think the key is, is that we always need to say, God, what does your word say? 
And what honors Jesus? Like a big thing, I've been talking to a lot of young people about, you know, cohabitating before marriage, right? Now, for those of you who've spent more time going around the block than others of you, you think that's, there's just no way. We never would have done that because in the culture that you were raised, that just wasn't normal. And plus, you also got married significantly younger. Now, young people are getting married significantly older, and it's become very common as we've lived in a more permissive culture for this to happen, right? So for a lot of young Christian people, they'll think to themselves, well, maybe it's not so bad because everybody's doing it, right? Now, the reality is, is they shouldn't do it. And I keep telling couples that. And I'm saying this publicly because it has the appearance of evil at the very least. And I've also never met a couple that are living together that aren't sinning. It just doesn't happen. And if they are a couple and they're living together and they're not sinning, then they're probably not really a couple either. That's just the way it rolls, plain and simple. And so, although our culture tells us, listen, you know, take it for a test drive before you buy the car. That's not God's heart. Because God sees a marriage between a man and a woman not as a business agreement, but as a covenant. And if you make a business decision, like, hey, we live together and we like our lifestyle, that has nothing to do with God. That has everything to do with this is my idea of what life's like. And the biggest problem with that is, of course, is that people change over time. Nobody stays stagnant. And that's why the divorce rate has become so high. Because people are in relationships situationally, as long as it suits me. But when you're in a covenant and you know that it's God's son or daughter that you're with, that's not situational. That's for life. And no matter high up or low down, you work through it. And sometimes you work through it with white knuckles, but you work through it. So although our culture will tell you that that's just okay, that's just the way it rolls. I mean, don't, you don't want to make a bad decision. I would say, no, listen, if you're seeking God, you won't make a bad decision. If you're saying, God, who's your best for me? Who do you want me to commit my life to? So you don't go there. So as we are in the world, we don't live like the world. Does that make sense? So even though they're going to Egypt, there's still a separation. The Egyptians saw people who were shepherds who tended to the flock as an abomination, as as somebody who was unclean. And so that was an opportunity to keep the children of Israel separated from Egypt, although still in Egypt. And I think we do absolutely, as Christians, want to find the sweet spot with that. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. We want to be incarnational in our communities, but we don't want to sin in all of our ways that our culture is in rebellion against God. And I always tell people the only way to know how to do that is to read the Bible. To read the Bible. God, what does your word say? What does your heart say? And we follow that. That's the only rule that we have for life and faith. And that's why we study the Bible together. Amen? That's why you're here. Like, what does the word of the Lord say? Jesus is real. When Jacob and his sons went to Egypt, they left everything behind. But they didn't leave their one true God. Although we live in a world that tells us to live in ways contrary to God's ways, we still cling to Him. We live in the world, but we're not of it. 
We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Hey, everybody. Pastor Daniel Fusco here from Jesus is Real Radio. I'm so excited. My book, Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives, is available right now. It is released, and God is using this book to be a message of hope to people who realize that life is messy, but Jesus is real. So get the book now. You can download it online. Go to honestlybook.com or wherever books are sold and where you like to get it. You and your friends are going to be blessed to get to read Honestly. I'm so excited about it. God bless you. Make sure and tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share how to respond to God by blessing others. When Jacob meets Pharaoh, it's an unexpected exchange. We'll hear about how Joseph's prophecy played out in its entirety. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Brothers. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is